Good morning. So for those of you who I have not met, my name is Abel. I'm fairly new to the church. I'm in about my sixth month here. And just wanted to say thank you. What a blessing it has been to be a part of this body, to serve here. Uh, it's, it's been a real privilege and a joy, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Quick thank you to our worship team. I know they just walked out, so I should have said that faster, but these guys are here early practicing, and just thank you to them. And thank you for those of you in the back who are running slides and stuff. What a, what a thankless job, so thank you up there as well. With that, can I pray for us before we look at God's Word? Father, what a joy it is to know you. Jesus, I pray that as we look at your Word that you would speak. Father, I ask as those of us, come, a lot of us here would come with burdens, come with pain, come with distractions. Father, may our hearts and our minds be clearly focused upon you and what you're going to say to us through your Word. May we leave here loving you more and knowing you more and having more of a heart for your kingdom. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I just want to belong. You ever felt that? I just wish I had a place that I felt safe enough to be myself. A place where I could not only give love, but receive it. A place where I don't feel left out. A place where it's comfortable, and I feel as if I belong. A safe place. You ever wanted that? I think every person that's ever been born has this desire inside them from birth of this desire to belong, the desire to be part of something, the desire to have this community, and a place where you feel like, okay, I belong here. This is home. I uh, had the privilege to work at a school uh, there was a school for bad kids, and it was a school where you kind of had to be the worst of the worst to get to this school. There were several crimes or things you had to commit to get admission into this school. You know, it was a very high standard. Um, and so I, I don't know how I got a job there from my, uh, you know, being a very sheltered, homeschooled boy that worked at Pinkberry Frozen Yogurt for six years. They hired me thinking, you know, well, this guy can really relate to these, you know, ex-gang members and whatnot and guys that are into prison. So I don't know how, but I got the job and was excited about it. Um, but what would happen is, is often these, these students here, they would be anywhere from 12 years old to I think the cutoff age was about 24, because a lot of them had gone to prison or were tried as adults, and then we would advocate for them to get out of prison and come to our school as a substitute and get them back, you know, in society. Um, so I was kind of the teacher of the guys from the age to 16 to 24. And uh, so, I, you know, I met some pretty hardcore dudes that would come in, and there was this one guy in particular, uh, and I was kind of new to the job still, so I was a little timid, you know, it was a little bit different than serving frozen yogurt. Um, but so this guy comes in, and we'll just call him Oscar, because uh, I don't want to say his full name, but and we'll just call him Oscar, and so he comes in, big dude, just, you know, tatted up, just, you know, scars all over him, just hardcore, walks in, and I'm just like, hey, you know, and, uh, and he's like, my name's Oscar, and I look at his file, and, you know, a lot of gang activity, and a lot of crimes, he just got out of prison, this was kind of his last chance before going in for a very long time, um, and I remember as I got to know him, uh, well, let me, let me back up, we had a connection, and that connection was when he walked in, he's all tattooed, but he had this massive tattoo on his arm with hearts around it, and it said the word Abel. 
And I was like, dude, what, what is this? And he was like, well, my fifth kid, his name was Abel, so I thought I'd put it on there. And I was like, oh, cool. And my name's Abel. Friends. And uh, so anyway, we, we kind of had this bond. And over the months I got to know him, uh, I asked him about his past. I was like, you know, Oscar, why? Why, why, why all these crimes, these gang-related stuff? And he's like, you know, growing up, like, my dad wasn't there. My mom was on drugs. Like, when my dad did come back, he beat me. I, I didn't have a family. I, I never had a place where I belonged. But you know where I found that I belonged? As those guys on the street, when they came to me, they took me in. And yeah, you know, there were things I had to do to become a part of that gang, but I'll tell you, the brotherhood that I found there, that was my family. That was my home. That's where I belonged. And so I didn't care what the cost. I wanted to belong. And he went missing after a few months, and we'll get back to that later. But this idea of belonging was enough to drive him and so many people to do you know, it's enough to get that girl in the relationship with a guy that's totally unhealthy, but the fact of, well, I feel loved and I feel like I belong, so I'm going to stay, right? Or I'm going to put up with this situation the because I feel like I belong. We're all searching to belong. None of us want to be left out, right? Have you ever been, as a kid, I don't know, maybe you were popular, maybe you weren't, but no one wants to feel left out. A recent survey said 43 million Americans move every year. That's 16%. And if you think, okay, that's not that much, but you think that's every year. So potentially a whole nother 16% could be moving the following year. Why are we moving so much? Another survey said this, that more than 60 to 70% of Americans claim to be lonely. This is a quote, and are more and more people reporting feeling that they are left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. We all want to feel like we belong. We're searching for it. Everybody's searching for this. A lot of people search, it's not just community, sometimes it's with a cause. I don't know if you remember, I wasn't there, but in the 60s and 70s, you don't have to raise your hand if you were there, but there was these people called the hippies, you know, and so young people, they became hippies because a lot of it was because it was a cause. It was something that if I'm a hippie, I can feel belong. Like, you don't shower, I don't shower. You know, I live in a Volkswagen, you live in a Volkswagen, you know, and it was this, this sense of we're part of something, there's belonging. And then there's been causes throughout history that people jump on. A lot of time, it's so you can feel like you belong. Right? We've seen different movements. We've seen political movements. We've seen environmental issues. I've been watching, uh, you ever watch, it's not Animal Planet, it's uh, Planet Earth. You know, and you watch this and there's beautiful scenes all the time, but every like other five minutes you feel terrible because like, this rainforest is beautiful, but it's dying and you can donate or you can be part of it. And I was like, oh man. But even me, like I'm starting to feel this draw of like, get uh, tell Sarah, don't, don't use a straw. You're going to kill a turtle if you use a straw. You know, I love turtles. You know, rip it out of her cock. I don't do that. But you know, it, it's these causes that we want to be a part of because we all want to belong. But for some of us in this room, and myself included, you may be feeling like you don't belong, right? You may be feeling like, you know, my family, I don't belong there. Christmas and Thanksgiving are painful. Or, you know, I got married to feel safe and loved, but it's lonely. Or my dad, or you don't know my dad or my mom, or you don't know this, or my work, like I feel left out. Or even at church, I just feel like I don't, I don't belong. Well, my hope this morning is that you can see where you do belong. 
And you can find hope in that and encouragement in that. So that's where we're going. We're in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out to Matthew chapter 3. We're starting this new series that Ethan started for us last week called Kingdom Culture. And that's going to be a clue of where we belong this morning. So Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1 if you're still with me. So verse 1 in Matthew chapter 3, it says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by with him in the Jordan. Okay, so what's going on? Who is this guy, John the Baptist? Kind of interesting character, dressed in camel skin, eating locust and honey, not your everyday guy that draws a crowd, right? Unless it's to make fun of him. You know, maybe that's why they're there. But anyway, this guy, if you know your Old Testament, was prophesied about. One of the only guys in the Old Testament that was prophesied about, other than Jesus, that said, this guy is going to prepare the way. When this guy comes, he is going to prepare the way for this thing called the kingdom of God. John the Baptist had a miraculous birth. His mom was too old, but God, out of his divine ability, made her have John the Baptist. And so here he is preparing the way for the kingdom. Our series is called Kingdom Culture because this idea of the kingdom of God changes our lives. The Bible says that right now there are spiritual forces around us and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, but our God is in the fight, and He started something right here in Matthew 3. He started this thing called the kingdom. So here they are. There's all these people hear about John the Baptist. They're like, okay, this is it. This is the kingdom of God. we got to be there. And see, it's saying they came from all around. This wasn't just like, hey, let's go over to the park and see what's going on. This was people traveled for days because they heard about the kingdom. They're like, I don't want to be left out we got to get there. Pack the kids up, pack PB&Js, do whatever you can, bring something. We're going to walk along here. We're going because we do not want to be left out. We want to belong to this thing called the kingdom of God. You still with me? Okay, so here's where we're going this morning. If the kingdom of God is where we belong, we have three questions. Who is the kingdom of God for? How do we get in? And what do we do once we're in? So those are going to be our three questions we're going to answer this morning. So first off, who is the kingdom of God for? And these next verses, 6 through 11, that are going to come up, we're going to read, are going to give us a clue, and it might not be what you think. So 6 through 11, who is the kingdom of God for? It says this, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So who can get into the kingdom of God? Who's it for? You see, if you or I were there, we're sitting out by the lake. It's hot. John the Baptist is preaching repentance. He's talking about the well, kingdom of God's coming. Who's it for? We would all probably have guessed if anyone's going to make it to the kingdom of God, it's going to be these guys, the Pharisees. I know if you're a Christian, you read your Bible, you often think bad Pharisees. But in those days, Pharisees are like, no, these are good. 
right? These are like the pastors. These are the guys that, you know, are on TV speaking that are like writing the books. These are like the John Pipers or the Tim Keller. Like, these are the ones. And then John the Baptist looks at him and says, oh, the kingdom of God, guess what? You, you're not going. You're brood of vipers. Back in the day, if you were in Jewish culture, viper is a snake. You'd often think of a snake as Satan, right, in the garden. Snake was often, it was the devil, when he says brood, basically he's saying, you children of the devil. What a, what a great speaker, right? Way to just include everybody and bring everybody in. I mean, imagine, like, what? Why not? Them of all people should be part of the kingdom of God. I, uh, I've been married almost five years. My wife's over there, Sarah, and she's from South Carolina, if you've ever been. Beautiful state. Um, but she comes from a very large southern family. If you know anything about the South, Southern people really like the South, okay? It's a big form of identity. So we were dating, things were going well, you know, we were holding hands and stuff. Anyhow, anyhow so it was that romantic time, and uh, it came time where she was like, hey, you may need to come meet the fam. And I was like, oh, no. Okay, so I said yes, um, but as she started to tell me a little bit more about her brothers, and I started to get nervous. Okay, she's got three brothers and a dad. All of them, let's just describe, are very tall, bearded, southern, you know, like I just killed a squirrel kind of guy, right? I mean, one of her brothers, to explain, this is a true story, um, but you know, this is what he does for fun. And this is, he, so on a regular basis, he'll get in his kayak, start going on the river upstream, because he's that kind of guy, you know, and then if he sees something in the water, he will stand up on his kayak, grab his bow and arrow, okay? Go look down at the water at a snake that's swimming underwater, shoot the snake, dive in, bring up the snake, then cook it and eat it while singing the national anthem, okay? I mean, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. These are, these, these are what these dudes are. And so I'm thinking like, okay, hear me, you know, I work at Pinkberry, right? I, I, I don't know sports, what am I going to do? So I was like, okay, I got I to gotta, I gotta prep for this. So I started watching like every episode of Duck Dynasty I could, you know, and then I thought, okay, how do you brew moonshine and all that stuff? Uh, no, I didn't really brew moonshine. Um, but, you know, I was prepared. But, and then I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, I, she has seven siblings, but I have seven siblings. And I've got five brothers. I grew up with six, but I'm going to be five. I know how to handle this. So I went in kind of confident, like, hey, they're going to love me. They're going to, you know, that whole positive talk. I watched some Dr. Phil, and I was like, I can do this. I can do this. Anyway, so I thought, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be accepted. And I got there. And uh, so first question with the brother, I walk in, they're all bearded and stuff, you know, I walk in my skinny jeans or whatever, hey, hey. And uh, he's like, oh, I noticed you don't have a beard. One of the I can't grow a beard for the life of me. I don't know what happened. And I, so I thought, I'll, I'll crack a joke. So I was like, well, it's just because I haven't gone through puberty yet. They didn't find it funny. <laughs> that was how I started off, right? Yeah. And then the other brother was like, hey, you know, I'm really into barbecuing. I just killed this deer with my bare hands, and I was going to cook you some barbecue. And I was like, well, you know, I kind of have a sensitive stomach. Do you have like a salad with kale or something like that? Yeah, and then that. Okay, well, and then the worst part was this. They're, if you know about the South, they're kind of football-oriented. Have you ever heard of football? It's a sport. I didn't really know what it was. Um, and so Sarah was like, okay, Abel, you have to talk about football. And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about football. She's like, the team is called Clemson, right? In the South, it's like, orange. Clemson's the team. Okay, say it with me. And I'm like, okay. So I go up to her dad and brother. She's like, oh, so you like football, Mr. Puberty? You know, and I was like, uh, yeah, I love Clifton. That's my favorite team. 
it didn't go well. Well, and then, and then the cherry on top is they're very athletic, so we all played ultimate frisbee with their whole family, and then after all that, I was running to catch the frisbee, and I have the coordination of a brick, right? So I jump up, and Sarah was right there, and I body slammed her to the floor. She almost sprained her ankle, and all of her brothers came up, like, ready to pass. Anyway, <laughs> the reason why I said that story is uh, I went in thinking, you know what, they're going to love me, and, and eventually they did. I don't want to get the wrong idea. Wonderful Christian family. But it took some work. And I think for so many of us, when it comes to the kingdom of God, and for so many people, they think, hey, if anyone's going to be included, it's going to be me. Right? And that's what the Pharisees would have thought. They're like, look, we follow all the rules. We're really religious. We're spiritual. We're going to be the ones that get there. And I think our culture today, is it not that we have this culture of like, hey, you as you are, are so good. Right? We have this show, you better accept me for who I am, how I am, what I am, and whatever I say I am, and that is good, and you need to accept me, and you need to provide a safe place for me, because I am ultimately good in myself. You ever heard that before? Right? And then when you say, they say, oh, well, you need to seek a relationship where the person just loves you for who you are, and all of your flaws, and no matter what, even if you don't work on your flaws, it's okay. They just need to love and accept you how you are. How many relationships are actually like that? I don't know of one. I mean, imagine in your family, like you say, well, my mother would never stop loving me. You know, mama, she, mama knows best, right? You know, she's the best. You know, but would your mom really love you that much if you're a sociopath? And you have no, you're just mom, you better love me for it. I mean, she might love you, but she might, if she really loves you, you might say, hey, but you need to get help. And there's a breach in this relationship, your behavior is destructive. Right? Or if you're like in a marriage, you're like, I need to find that special somebody that they're just going to love me no matter what for who I am, however I act, whatever I do. Well, I don't know. I mean, if, if you're married and then all of a sudden you're like, look, baby, it happened again. I was at Chipotle and uh, she put extra guac on my burrito and I thought it was suggesting. Then she gave me extra chips, so I had an affair again. I'm sorry, but you know, guacamole, I, come on. You better love me for who I am. What's going to happen? You see, when you enter relationships, there are boundaries. There are parts where you have to say, hey, I'm going to give this up, right? When you make a covenant with someone in marriage, you have to say, hey, it's only you, no one else. I got to change. I tell, like, when I was in youth ministry, I told students, like, hey, man, if you want a girlfriend, you may want to start brushing your teeth, right? It might be time to start taking showers. There's things you got to do, right, for a girl to like you. And they're like, no, I just want her to love me how I am. I was like, fine, I don't know if she's going to love you if you're in your basement playing video games all day, would not shower. Like, you got to do. And with God, it's a kingdom. The United States of America is a free country, but there are laws. And this is a kingdom where there's a king. And the king says, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And John the Baptist here, what's he saying? He's drawing this crowd. He's not saying, hey, this is how to be your best you. He's saying, no, no, no. Repent. The kingdom of God is coming. And he said, these Pharisees, they're not good enough. This thing called sin. You've got to see you for who you really are. And you've got to turn. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Right? Unless you're able to acknowledge, hey, I have a problem called sin in my life. And what I am is not okay. And I have this sinful nature. I need help. Unless you come to the place of realizing the bad news that you need help. You have no need for a Savior. You have no need for a God if you're like, I'm good in myself. And John the Baptist is saying, yeah, you're not. And I think for so many of us, we think, well, I'm in the right political party. 
Or I, I really do, I save the turtles, I recycle, I'm a good person, or you don't know what I donate to, or I've raised kids, or I went to a Bible college, you know, whatever it is. John the Baptist saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is for those who say, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I need to repent. A lot of us want to hold on to our sin, and we look at God as, God, you just better love me for who I am, no matter what, how I am, whatever. And God says, no, I'm God. I'm holy. I've made a way possible for you. I have gone to the cross for you. I want you to be saved. But first, you have to see that I am better than anything else. And you have to get rid of all these idols and sin. And you have to say, okay, God, I'm a mess. I need your help. God, I need your help getting this sin out of my life. I can't do it on my own. It's like going to the doctor and saying, look, I've got the disease. Help me. That's what God needs. That's what the Bible says. The Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who's the kingdom of God for? It's for those who humbly say, God, I don't want my sin. I need you. You still with me? Okay, well, let's keep going. Who's the kingdom of God for? Now, how do we get in? What is the entrance? And John the Baptist is going to tell us this. So he said, this is who it's for, those who repent. It's not the Pharisees. They think they're good. It's for the humble. And then he says, this is the entrance. So let's pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 3. Here we go. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff and the unquenchable fire. So the entrance to the kingdom of heaven, is he saying it's baptism? Because I grew up always thinking, no, 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 baptism doesn't save you, right? If you just sprinkle water and you're not like, oh, I'm instantly going to go to heaven, it's good. No, it's a representation. I mean, if, it, if baptism really just saved us, you put water, I mean, shouldn't we all go to the hospital with little water bottles and spray them on babies and say, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you know, and then everybody's saved. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about something else. Look, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one that is more powerful, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a text in Romans 6, it's going to come up on the screen here, that talks about this idea of baptism and what it means to the kingdom of God. Stay with me if you can. It says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. You see, baptism is a picture of what happens when someone enters the kingdom of God. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you know what you're really saying is, Jesus, kill me. Jesus, this old person that I am, I understand now that I'm not okay. I understand my sin, but I don't have the strength to get rid of my sin because I'm so indoctrinated. I need your help, so kill the old man. And that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. That's why Jesus says you need to be reborn. Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill the man of sin. And just as I died on the cross, you're going to die with me. That's what baptism is when you go into the water, is that you're dead. You're proclaiming to the world, look, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The old person you know, that's no more. 
It's been covered by the cross of Christ, and now I've risen again as a new person in Him, and I look forward to being with Him. That's the entrance into the kingdom of God. It's dying. And you can fake it. And I feel like a lot of us just say, oh, well, you know, I'll kind of put my faith and trust in Jesus and just kind of pretend that I'm a new creation. But it's not real. I was fortunate uh, about two months after I got hired here, and I was new, so I was trying to impress, you know, my bosses and stuff that need to be accepted and all that. And uh, so they invited me to a Laker game. And I know absolutely nothing about sports, okay? If you give me a car and a wrench, I'd be happy all day long. But a Laker game, I, I knew they were a basketball team. That was the extent of it. And so I go with Mike, Ethan, and Pastor Ray, and the four of us go to this Laker game. And so I had asked my brother-in-law, I was like, hey, dude, tell me a little bit about the Lakers, like, uh, so I can kind of talk the lingo, you know? And so I was trying to throw little blurps in here and there, like, oh, yeah, that was a three-pointer. Oh, yeah, they did another touchdown. That's pretty cool. You know, just little stuff here and there to impress them so I could fit in and belong. But then about halfway through the game, I lean over to Ethan and Ray. I was like, hey, guys, I thought that impressed them. Does LeBron James still play or did he retire? And Ethan, you know, Ethan never really gets mad. He looked at me and he said, Abel, LeBron has scored 48 points during this game. (laughs) You saw Ray over there just (laughs) scratching his bald head. No, no, (laughs) don't, don't, don't. Okay, I hope this isn't recorded. I don't want to get fired. Uh, But I feel like a grizzly bear is going to come like Elijah. Anyway, okay. Um, But so, you know, I wanted to fit, but I was faking it. And I think for some of us in the kingdom of God, you can't fake it. You're not going to be, God, I'm all in. Kill me. And this is the beauty of it. This is entrance into the kingdom of God. Right now, the Bible says there is a throne room in heaven. Right now, as we talk, there's a throne room in heaven where Almighty God is on the throne. And we see this in Job 1 and another Old Testament book that at times Satan goes into that throne room and says, God, you know those people at Ambassador or so and so that's sitting in that room right now? Did you see what they did this week? God, did you see the thoughts that they have? Lord, look, you, you can't cover that up. They are sick, and you need to do what you said by John the Baptist, that you're going to bring in your winnowing fork, and you're going to get rid of them. You're going to bring the ax to the tree. You need to cut them down, because you're a just God, and they don't deserve anything but your wrath. And God says, you know what, Satan? You're right. But that person you're talking about, they're dead, because they died with me at the cross. And every sin you're talking about is covered, it is paid in full because of what I did. And just as I rose again, they have risen again with me, they are a new creation, they are clothed with my white robes, they are my child, and I am waiting for them the day when they are with me in paradise, Satan, back down. Because I started my kingdom 2,000 years ago, and they are in it. That is the kingdom of God is saying, dear Jesus, kill me that I may live. The great theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Entrance into the kingdom of God is for those who repent. And it is for those who say, Jesus, you are the only way. Lastly, what do we do when we're in the kingdom of God? You still with me? Matthew 3, 13 through 17, if you have a Bible, where it look up on the screen, it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. 
And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fill all righteousness. Now the funny thing here is John gets it. Jesus comes to John. There's all these crowds around the water. Everyone's been watching with intensity. He's first said repent. Then he called out the Pharisees. There's all this tension. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. It is quiet. Everybody's watching. Then Jesus walks into the water. It starts rippling. And they every, all eyes. And John's like, Jesus, I can't baptize you. Why? Because John got it. I'm not worthy. Jesus, I, I've got sin. I, I need what you're going to do to save me. I'm not good. The funny thing is, imagine if Jesus would have walked to the Pharisees and said, hey, will you baptize me? What do you think they would have said? Oh, of course. You know, of all people, we're the guys to do it. But John understood. And you're asking, well, why does Jesus need to be baptized, right? He, doesn't, he didn't need to put his faith and trust in himself. He never sinned. Well, he's doing it to pave the way. He's doing it to show everyone, hey, this is what you need, and I'm the one. And here's the next part that shows why. End of verse 15, it says, Then John consented, 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, get this, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's one of the rare moments we see in the Bible that the voice of God actually comes out of heaven. Usually it's by an angel or a prophet, but in this moment, God is so excited about His Son, so excited about the kingdom, and He wants everybody to know. And so as Jesus comes up, God says, look, this is it. This is the kingdom on earth. This is God in flesh. This is My Son. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Here it is. Kingdom entrance is right here. But the funny thing is, imagine being John. You know, after this, all the crowds, when Jesus comes up, they see this, oh my goodness, it's, this is God. And so what do you think all the people do after Jesus leaves? They fall. And then there's John the Baptist in the water. Man, I've been out in the wilderness all my life, God. I've been eating locusts and honey. I've kind of been an outcast. I called the Pharisees out like you asked me to do. I was brave in doing that. But now I'm out here, and then if things didn't get worse, weeks later, John's thrown into prison. And then he's in prison, and John's buddies come to him, and they're like, John, what in the world, man? I mean, you, you did all of this, and now everybody's following Jesus, and here you are in prison. This is messed up. And you know what John says? This is what he's famous for. His guys. It's okay. Because you know what? My life is so that he will increase, and that I will decrease. You see, John understood the kingdom of heaven. He understood what his role was. He understood what his life was about. It is to exalt Christ. It is to live his entire life like it's one arrow saying, He is it. He is king and I am not. You see, John understood that to belong means to be in the kingdom of God and to be in the kingdom of God is to point directly at Christ. But the funny thing, even after that, Things still get worse for John, if you know the story. A little while later, John's in prison. You got King Herod. He gets seduced by a girl. He's drunk. He's got to impress his guests. So they have John beheaded. And that's the end of his story. What a great example of what it's be to be part of the kingdom of God, right? Let's sign up. But you know what? Jesus later is recorded in the Gospels. Someone says, hey, Jesus, what about that guy, John the Baptist? He says, you know what? Among those born among women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Almighty God in flesh pointed to him and said, that is the greatest man that's ever lived besides myself. 
Why? Because John understood his purpose in life is the kingdom of God. And you see, for so many of us, myself included, is we forget what life is all about. And we start trying to build our own little kingdom so we can feel like we belong. We go from relationship to relationship thinking this will be the one where I feel like I belong and I have this safe place and I will feel fulfilled. Or we go from job to job thinking this is the one where I will find my purpose and my belonging and I will be loved by others because I'm successful. Or we go from here to here to here thinking I'm going to build this little kingdom. And John the Baptist says, no, 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 it's not about your kingdom. It's about his And that's how you're going to find true belonging. That's what it's all about. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? See, my friend Oscar, after a few months of searching, he didn't make his parole or anything like that. They found him in an alley. He had been stabbed several times in the stomach. He's still alive, though went to recovery, and by God's grace, he lived. And I remember months later, we came back, and we had an entrance appointment, and we were talking. I was like, Oscar, what, what happened? He's like, Abel, I just, I can't resist. I just, these, this is my family. This gang is my family. I just, it's so hard. I know, I know I gotta be a new man. I know I gotta count that old man as dead, that old gang member. I know I gotta change because I got my kids now and I gotta turn my life around. But Abel, it's just so hard because I, I just, I feel like I belong here and I just can't get past this. I wanna consider that guy dead. I wanna be, repent of that life, but I got to get here. Sad reality is, is a few months later, he committed more crimes and he's in prison now. You see, the thing was, he couldn't get past that need to belong, but he misplaced it. And I think for so many of us, we're so lonely, we're so hurting, and some of them are valid struggles. But have we misplaced where we belong? Jesus said this hard, difficult verse. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And you're like, Jesus, wait, I'm not supposed to love my family? And Jesus is like, no, you are supposed to love your family, but not more than me and not over my kingdom. And so the greatest thing you should be teaching your kids is, you know what? It's about him and his glory. And that's what it's about. It's not about getting into the greatest school, although that may be a good thing, but it has to come second. And may we as grandparents or parents or kids or spouses, may we be people that the first priority in every relationship is always to lift up Christ like John the Baptist. Say, that's what my life's about. If the heavens open up and say it's about Him, then I rejoice because that's the kingdom of God. You want a place to belong. Well, there's an invitation this morning. John the Baptist is out there on the water 2,000 years ago, but this invitation is still here today through the book of Matthew. You can belong to something that's eternal, something that's never going to fade away. Remember that beautiful verse that Jesus says, put your treasures in heaven, not on things of earth where moth and rust destroy. Remember the kingdom of heaven. So if you're here this morning, and you're that person that you're holding on to your sin, or you're that person that you think, you know, I'm good enough as I am, or I don't want to repent of this, or I don't, I'm whole, clinging on to this stuff that's my little kingdom, and I, my life is about pleasing myself. May you remember that there's this thing called the kingdom of God. 
And it's alive and well, and it's moving, and Jesus is coming back a second time, and you can be part of it. Don't miss it for your own sinful desires. I know, it's so hard. It's so hard not to put your security and trust in relationships or things or jobs, but maybe reminded if it's in Christ. Repent, confess, and then die. If anyone desires to come after me, let him lay down his life, take up his cross, and follow me. And for those of you who you're like, you know, I've never really belonged. I feel so lonely. I don't know how I could belong to this. Well, here's the good news. That moment when God came down, the heavens opened up, and he said, hey, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Guess what? The Bible says there's this thing called the great exchange. You ever heard of it? And what it is, is this moment when Jesus died on the cross, when you put your faith in that, the Bible says that there's this exchange, there's this transaction, there's this legal declaration from God. You know what it is? Is that in that moment when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God says, I now proclaim you with Christ's righteousness, and I take your sin, and I put it on my cross and kill it. I kill the old man, and then I clothe you in righteousness. And what does that mean for us? That means that this picture of God looking at His Son saying, I love you and I'm well pleased with you. That's what He says for us. Because we're made the children of God through the Gospel. And in the same way that the Spirit of God saw Jesus come in and says, I love you, you are my Son and I am pleased. That is what we have in the Kingdom of God. How many relationships, places where you belong, the people you loved have hurt you, rejected you. Guess what? If you're part of the Kingdom of God, you will never be rejected. Because in God's eyes, you are perfect. You are sinless. You are washed white. That's our hope this morning. May we be people of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.